the teachers at Cal Poly and, and fellow students. I mean, I'm still colleagues and friends with several of them who are in my class. It was just really, really helpful for my, um, my mindset and my personality and uh, helping me find myself. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Lee. I'm the host of CBP Music Couches. And today, um, we have the lovely Sarah Wallen Hub. The following interview was recorded live on October 15th, 2020. So Sarah, if you would like to speak, just like talk about like who you are, what you're known for, um, pretty much anything for your intro. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Henry. This is really exciting. Um, who am I? Okay, I am Sarah Wallenhuff, and um, I am a violinist, violist, and composer. I've been teaching at Cal Poly since 2018, and I actually am an alum, so I went went to Cal Poly uh, for music education. Uh, graduated from there in 2006. Uh, I was a transfer student, so go transfers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I've been playing violin since 1990, been writing my own music since 1993, um, teaching since 1998. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I'm also like a, I also played viola too. Um, I also play like both violin and viola, but if you like know the violin, then you just pretty much know the viola as well. Just pretty much. Bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little more exhausting. <laughs> Well, you were a student here at Cal Poly, which is a reason that like I wanted to like bring you here because we were like pretty much like showcasing anyone involved in the Cal Poly Pomona community. Would you like to like tell us like any highlights? And you were a transfer student as well. So, mm -hmm. and we have like a lot of transfer students at Cal Poly too. Mm -hmm. When I graduated high school, I was a uh, very slow going on my, uh, you know, higher education. I didn't know really what I wanted to do, uh, but my violin teacher at the time was like, hey, if you go to college and study with me at this college, you get free lessons. And I'm like, all right, so I'll major in music and get free lessons. That works. <laughs> that was pretty much it. But I, so I bounced in between community colleges. I went to Saddleback Community College for a semester. I went, you know, to all these coastline community college, Orange Coast, uh, you know, all these Southern California, Orange County uh, college, uh, colleges. And in between that, I would take a semester off to go on these tours to Europe <laughs> where mm -hmm. I was playing, playing and singing with a, um, a music group, you know, for four months at a time, a concert every day. So that was exciting and, and tiring and fun and a great experience. Uh, but then after, um, you know, several years of that, finally, my violin teacher was like, so when are you going to sit down and finish your degree? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I should. So she was teaching at, uh, at Cal Poly at the time, it was one of her colleges where she was teaching. And so she, you know, prodded me till I finally transferred into Cal Poly and committed to finishing. Um, I did want to major in composition, but uh, at that point, we didn't offer that. So I went for music ed instead. Yeah, it's new. Yeah, it's brand spanking new. But music ed was great for me because I got to try out all the different instruments. You know what I mean? I got to try out percussion, try out woodwinds, try out brass. And so that was fun. Got to get my hands on all these different instruments. 
of course, one of the big highlights was when I met James Huff, my uh, my now husband. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always love telling the story that um, his mom, Lori Huff, has been teach or had been teaching at Cal Poly forever and ever, and she just recently retired. I actually met her first. I was in her Woodwind Fundamental class, and the story goes that she went home that day and was like telling James, oh my gosh, there's this girl that's totally perfect for you. <laughs> and then I finally met him the following quarter. We were on the quarter system then, and we became friends. And then after that, you know, now here wow. we are 12 years later of marriage. So <laughs> you had a professor, a professor did matchmaking for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was, uh, it was amazing that it worked out. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That sounds better than online dating nowadays. Right? Seriously. <laughs> I don't know. When I had transferred to Cal Poly, I, I'm a completely different person now, let's put it that way. <laughs> I grew up in a very religiously fundamental household that was very isolationist. And, uh, my, you know, my parent, my dad didn't really want me to go on to get further education in the first place, let alone in music. Oh, God forbid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, and he knew I loved composing and he straight up said, you are not going to be a composer. Just don't even go there. So I would like write my music in secret and show it to my friends later. <laughs> so when I went to Cal Poly, I was very sheltered. I was very shy. I was very anxious. Um, you know, I have an, I have an anxiety disorder that I get meds for. So yay. Um, <laughs> um, but then I met all the wonderful teachers in the music department and, um, they, they just really helped me open up. And uh, especially I wanna give a shout out to Dr. Yates because he really helped me with my composing and gave me courage and encouragement. And uh, basically was like, you know, if you wanna continue in composing, you should go get your master's degree in it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, so I did based on his recommendation. I was basically like, well, I'll apply to Claremont Graduate University. And if I get in, great, I'll get my master's. And if not, oh, well, I'll just do something else. And I got in. So there you go. I just kept on going then. Uh, but yeah, um, all the teachers at Cal Poly and, and fellow students, I mean, I'm still colleagues and friends with several of them who are in my class. It was just really, really helpful for my, um, my mindset and my personality and uh, helping me find myself. You know what I mean? Yes. The great thing about being like a music student, if if you like go to school for music, you'll just meet like a lot of musicians, um, mm -hmm. artists, composers, all that stuff. And you may like become like more than just like networking buddies, but also like probably lifelong friends as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you do, I think you only teach one specific course on campus. I do. It cracks me up. I mean, but I teach three or four sections of it. So yes. it's, it's a lot, but yeah, but I'm having such a blast with it. <laughs> yes, um, this class, um, History of Music Technology. Mm -hmm. um. It's such a neat class. It's, um, first of all, what I love about it is that it's actually a GE class, but it's upper right. division. So I get to meet so many students besides those in the music department. You know what I mean? And I love that. Uh, it also means it's challenging because not everybody knows, you know, what a half step is and not everybody yeah. knows what a scale is. Yes, so. there's some like... I've taken this class with Sarah before and like there's definitely some like basic music theory and even with like basic music theory that's not easy for everyone to learn. Right and it is fun though because we sort of take a broad look at these music ideas with the purpose of uniting it with society and 
and technology, of course. And um, so there's something for everybody to learn, you know? Uh, right. I've um, even had music students who were like, oh, I didn't even know what monody was, you know? <laughs> yeah, you'll learn, if you're, um, if you're gonna like take this class, you're gonna like learn a lot of things. Like I've learned stuff about like, um, I didn't think that we'd start in like ancient music history. <laughs> And it goes all the way to the present. So it's like a great exposure to like um, Western classical music as well. If you've um, never even learned about Western classical yet. I personally liked it. I loved it actually. Um, Cause like, I'm like definitely like also like this like nerd for like music technology, but it also like goes like, there's like a lot of like pop cultural stuff that Sarah introduces to that class as well. When it comes to like education, you want like students to like reference to like something that's like well known too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, we start with the earliest music technology we found, which is a 40,000 year old bone flute, right? So we're talking Paleolithic era here. Early humans were making music on flutes. I mean, and then how to relate that to film music, video game music, hip hop, all of that and everything in between just to see the patterns of humanity. You know what I mean? I just, I love that concept. It doesn't matter what era, the technology changes, the music styles change, but humans don't really change. And so it's interesting to see that trajectory and those patterns. I'm like also remembering that like you also allow students um, bring like whatever they want to share. Like mm -hmm. I remember one person brought in their like gramophone um, yes <laughs> they're like wood they're like ancient woodwind instruments i think i remember like another student brought in their synthesizer as well to share which uh -huh. i thought this like show and tell thing is like um really nice for you to bring into class yeah well i can only bring a couple things i mean oh and sarah brings stuff <laughs> sarah brings stuff as well <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> of course, I bring my violin. But then when we get to electrophones, I bring my electric, my six string electric violin that lights up and everything. So yes, it's like a, totally a clubbing violin. Uh, so I bring that and um, I try to bring in a monochord when I can. Uh, but that that thing is a monster. Also, uh, you I don't know if you were in class when we found it, but Will found that we had a 1948 music writer, which is one of the music typewriters. Oh, and, music typewriter. Yeah, and so it's in my office right now. Oh, you have it. <laughs> I have it, but I took a video of it. So at least, you know, you can see what it, how it looks and what it looks like. And yeah, so I love bringing stuff. And so, like you said, some students have like Renaissance woodwinds uh, or a, or a non-electric gramophone, you know? <laughs> and so it's always fun to see the actual, I love seeing the actual artifacts, you know, whenever I can get my hands on them. <laughs> The last thing I want to say is like you wrote a textbook for this course. This course seems a little bit like unique. It is. Oh my goodness. So actually I took the course when I was in at Cal Poly uh, with Dr. Stan Gibb, if anybody remembers him. And I absolutely loved it in um, trying to pick up this course for, for teaching it myself. The main problem I ran into is all of the readings and the articles were just way above everybody's heads. You know what I mean? Um, there were a lot of music articles that had terminology that our non-music students didn't know what to make sense of. Um, and of course, when you get into technology, a lot of times there's this assumption that you already know the basics of te technological verbiage. 
So um, I finally just decided after a year, uh, you know, I really ought to just take my lecture notes and write it, write it out myself. And then actually what, what happened is I got um, approached by a representative of Great River Learning and they were like, hey, we're just scouting and looking for people who might be interested in writing a textbook. And I'm like, oh, me, me. <laughs> uh, and being able to have an actual publisher work with me on it was so helpful because they took care of the whole, you know, rights and stuff, you know, they're like, you know, you, you can't you can't post certain 20th century scores in a book without permissions and all that good stuff. And so they knew all the legal stuff. So they took care of that. And uh, it's a I love that it's an online book. So I'm able to link out to YouTube videos and I was able to upload helpful videos and uh, sound examples that might be helpful um, pictures. Uh, it's sort. a multimedia textbook. Yeah. So. Really this works, is. especially since it's a music course. Um, mm -hmm. You just don't want to read music. Right, right. And again, too, is just there's something about being able to actually see and hear what we're talking about. That's something I've heard a lot from students who use the book is they say being able to actually see or hear what we're talking about really helps. We'll move on to um, pretty much just talking about like quarantine. Yes. <laughs> yes, the daring oh, question. 2020, yeah. <laughs> oh, that has knocked a lot of people off course. Mm -hmm. Um, not just with music, but pretty much with life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I just want to like ask about like um how you are a composer and mm -hmm. like musician as well. <laughs> I was just like wondering um what would be your um creative process when you are creating your art oh that's a tough one it really it really depends on what i'm doing what i'm creating uh a lot of times i'll create uh chamber music or orchestral music for my friends and my colleagues you know somebody will be like hey i have a recital coming up will you write me a piece and i'm like all right sure you know so a lot of times i'll write a piece for a person uh which makes it really fun other times I just have ideas that won't let me go. Like I actually have this string quartet eight bars in my head that I finally jotted down and cause it won't leave me alone. I will kind of sit on these ideas and let them fester and work them out. Um, my recent trio that I finished, which I'm so excited will debut at the uh, faculty concert on October 28th. So be sure to check that out. Ooh. But uh, yeah, that trio uh, for violin, viola and flute was one of those ideas that just was in my head and I had jotted down some notes and I finally finished it and I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. So a lot of times it's just creative ideas that I just mold and shape. Sometimes I'll have uh, something I want to try. Like there was a piece I did called the Oracle, which is uh, going to be released soon on, on a label and the Oracle I want, I'm into tarot cards. Right. And so <laughs> I wanted to do the John Cageian thing where I did had some aleatorism going on. And uh, so I just took my tarot cards and randomly drew cards and wrote a piece around it. Based each, it was for a quintet. So each instrument was one of the elements. So, you know, the violin was fire. The uh, flute was air, of course, you know. <laughs> uh, what was the cello? The cello was uh, water and uh, the clarinet was earth, you know. And then I had a piano that was the tree of life, you know. <laughs> so. 
you know, and I shaped it just based on this wacky idea and this sort of, I have a sort of storytelling nature about myself. So all my pieces tend to tell some kind of a story or have some kind of imagery to them. But I also do a lot of electronic stuff, you know, so like there was a new synthesizer app I got on my iPad, which is mm. an amazing app. It's free if you want to check it out. It's uh, audio kit. But, you know, so it had a whole bunch of synthesizer sounds and things I could play around with. So I'll build a piece off of that. Yeah. Or if I, there's a whole bunch of samples I've just come across, I'm like, ooh, what can I do with this? You know? <laughs> so a lot of this, I like to think of it as like a kid playing in the mud. You know, I've got stuff around me. I'm like, what can I make out of this? Let's see. <laughs> All the stuff's like sounds wonky, especially with like the tarot cards. Yeah. If you like, if you like astrology, anything mm -hmm. that sounds magical. You should yeah. definitely watch out for what Sarah is going to release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, that's just the thing is I love mythology. I love magic. I love nature. I love organic stuff and I love math. And so all of that stuff kind of plays into my creative process to one degree or another. <laughs> Personally, I, I don't like, I don't like really follow astrology, to be mm. honest. Um, it's gonna make some people mad. <laughs> I, I create my own destiny, so. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I like to view these ideas as psychological. Like for the tarot, it was really helpful for me to treat it like a mirror to myself, you know, mm. just to kind of like, okay, I'm seeing these images. What am I thinking about it right now? And that was just sort of a meditative way to look at my own train of thought, you know? kind of step outside myself a little bit. That's like another fun thing about these two. Maybe you like find out something about yourself. Like you said, exactly. it's like a mirror of yourself. Exactly. Sometimes we need to step back to see things a little more clearly. So I would like to like move on to like gigging. You are a performer and definitely like live music has been put on halt since March. I Everyone has like different ways of like dealing with like not performing i think like performers would go on to do something with creation i feel like i'm gonna like ask the same question but it's not like the same question but like how were you as like a performer were able to deal with this issue for yourself anything that's like specific towards you well for the big group stuff like the organizations that you know, like I'm on call to play with orchestras and stuff for recordings or, or concerts and stuff. I mean, so when it came to those big organizations, they already had it taken care of that, you know, we will let you know when things resume. <laughs> so that, that was it. I found it kind of funny that when it came to like weddings and stuff, because I, I do a lot of wedding music, um, it's a good steady gig. So if you're looking for steady work after COVID, <laughs> weddings are, are a good market to, to do. Uh, I had all these weddings booked, you know, for the rest of the year. And then I had to go through and politely say, I'm so sorry. Let me refund you your money, you know? And um, luckily yeah. most, most everybody agreed. Uh, I had a couple, you know, especially mothers of the brides who were like, no, we sh we're still doing it. And I'm like, okay, um, let me refer you to some people because I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so there's that whole thing. But uh, I had pretty much made a deal with James, my husband, um, because his dad has some health issues and we see him a lot and James has some health issues. And so we just decided I am not doing any gigs uh, at least until 2021. So that was just sort of, that was our deal, you know? 
Mm. Um, and and luckily we're in a position that um, I, I was okay with it, you know? Um, I mean, there were a couple opportunities where I got to play uh, some, some streaming concerts. Like there was a, a concert I did for um, a, a senior living center where they set up a, a Google Hangouts, Google Meet, you know, thing for all the residents. And so I just did the concert in my studio and set up my computer. So that was fun, you know? What else? Oh, like uh, this, this opportunity with uh, the, faculty concert is a great opportunity because I was able to do to put together the trio recording uh, separately. So we put the recording together and then the flute player that I worked with, uh, Shannon Canchola, mm. uh, she and I, you know, she sent me her video of her playing to her part and I just put together this cool music video with it, you know. Um, so that's another way to do that. But I think what's what's really interesting for me is that the pandemic gave me a chance to sort of really sort myself out because uh, again, I put so much pressure on myself to succeed at everything I do. I'm such a perfectionist. I feel that. Um, and so for the longest time, I kept like getting down on myself because, oh, I'm not the best violinist everywhere. I'm not doing all these concerts, even though, yes, I was, but, oh, I'm not playing enough. Oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not playing the right pieces, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not writing enough. And it's like, I was just doing way too much. So what I found in sitting at home and not having all these gigs taking my attention away is that I found that I actually am okay with not focusing on performing as much. You know, I'm okay focusing more on my writing and my composing and recording. You know, it's finding myself and being okay with myself. So moving forward, I think I'm probably gonna turn down some more gigs because I want more time for the things that I enjoy more, you know? That's all great. I mean, I wanna say it's like all great, but like then you have to like lose things too. Everyone is like it's true and gaining something from this. It's true, and you're, you might find as you get older that uh, your networks aren't going to stay the same. You know, my networks that I had set up for gigging when I got out of Cal Poly certainly have evolved as I got older. Um, and so that's the thing, I think, is to realize that things change. Yes, I get older, <laughs> maybe a little wiser, hopefully. And, uh, and you meet new people, but you also sometimes let go of old connections and that's okay. You know, I think that's the, that's the lesson is that it's okay. Things change, things evolve and you meet new people. You have to let go of old opportunities sometimes. And you uh, learn but, more about and yourself. And you learn from it. So it's like really introspective during these times when you're isolated with, yeah. from everyone. Yeah, exactly. So, so I actually really treasure that. Um, it's of course it's been a rough year for everybody, but that's something that I treasure that wouldn't have happened, I don't think otherwise. <laughs> Speaking of things to treasure, um, <laughs> Sarah just released an album, um, her, her so-called quarantine album. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it's um it's titled Tonal Eclipse. It features actually features like not only like her um, stuff that she works during quarantine, but also like some film stuff as well. We've been talking about like quarantine. How is creating this album different from anything else that you've created in the past? This one, well, the the birth of this idea actually started with the track. Uh, I think it's track number eight, "Hope Unfolding." That was my first piece that I did 
like right after everything shut down. This was like maybe April or May, somewhere in there. And I just was having one of my creative moments. I put together this, this soundscape backdrop and then pulled out my violin and was like, I'm just gonna improvise to it. And so I layered myself improvising and just kind of molded it and then came out with this piece, Hope Unfolding. And I love, I, it's one of my favorite tracks personally. But, um, but yeah, so that was like the first, this is my quarantine piece, you know, just, just having fun with it. That's why I called it, you know, with hope, because it was a little bit hopeful during those times. One of the other things I like to do is take old music and add new stuff to it. So I took a Bach uh, solo violin piece that probably most violinists know and, I set up like this EDM beat to it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did the same with uh, a um, like early Baroque piece, late Renaissance piece uh, by Heinrich von Bieber. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, there's this gorgeous solo violin piece from the 1600s. Um, and I just decided to take parts of it and turn it into a string trio with, uh, you know, again, electronic beats and stuff. and. So I took a lot of those pieces where I just, it, I'm playing by myself and then just throwing some cool licks behind it and everything. And then uh, finally, the last peg in the hole, if you will, was the title track, Tonal Eclipse of the Heart. Ha ha ha. And that piece is really, really fun because it's an entirely sampled piece. And um, you maybe remember, remember from our sampling lesson in class where I talk about Pierre Schaeffer's 1948 Railway Etude. And mm. it's one of the first examples of like, I guess you could say real sampling where he used, um, you know, clips of like um, railroad railroads and yeah, like recorded exactly them. a train. Yeah. A train going down a train track and the train whistles and uh, he recorded it on tape and then cut that tape up like literally with scissors, you know, to create these samples. Right. So, and I have been forever wanting to resample the sampled work that Schaefer did. Mm. I thought that would be so fun because you have these train noises that you could turn into a beat. Right. And so this was part of the pandemic thing where I'm like, well, I got nothing else to do. Oh, uh, why don't I do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took, you know, the railway etude, chopped it up a bit, turned it into my own beat thing. I took some recordings because um, my mother-in-law has since retired to Hawaii. And one of the last times we were visiting her, I had just recorded random sounds from around Hawaii and, you know, garage doors opening and children screaming. And, <laughs> and so I took some of those sounds and mixed it up with the train sounds and you know, added a disco beat to it and just had a lot of fun with it. So, <laughs> yes. so this basically, this is why I call it my quarantine piece because it's just me fooling around with my own stuff. And yeah. <laughs> it sounds enjoyable to do too. Like if you have like a microphone or anything to record with, yeah. you can just like record noises and just mm -hmm. do anything with that noise. Basically pretty much just sampling. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much fun and it's so creative. You're taking pre-existing stuff that you've recorded on your phone and turning it into artwork, you know? <laughs> you also written um, music for a film. Would you like to um, tell us how that came about? Sure. Um, those, those are three tracks on that album, Tonal Eclipse. Uh, since I realized I was going to release it as an album, I asked the director, hey, can I just also release this on there since, you know, <laughs> she's mm. like, sure. So the director, we call her T, uh, Teresa Richardson. She, um, wonderfully talented uh, woman, 
she's an actress, she's a writer, a director. Um, she's really into the independent film scene. Hmm. And um, I had met her years ago when we were living out in Valencia. And uh, so once she started uh, hooking up with this other team, uh, they call themselves Tequila Mockingbird. Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> Productions, yep. Their, their first big thing involving me was a they did one of those 48 hour film contests where you have to make, write and make a film in 48 hours. Just write so, and make a film? Yep, Act, yep. Wait, like writing a script and then recording it too? Yep, yep. Oh. And music and sound and everything in 48 hours. It's, it's a challenge, yep. Yeah. And you get, you get like a prompt, you get like a genre out of a hat and you get like some basic things you have to include in it. And then they just say, okay, you got 48 hours. So that was the first project I did with them. We came up with a short film called Shady Oaks Takedown, which is basically, if you can imagine, uh, a Krav Maga film in a senior center with a couple of little old ladies who are mad at each other. <laughs> it's amazing. So I did the music for that. I seriously threw it together in like six hours, <laughs> but mm. it was so much fun. Um, and and I'm, after that, I mean, T has always loved my music and, and loved collaborating with me and then uh, they came out with another series of shorts uh, where they each did one and tease was called I Spy a Foodie. Basically, um, the, the, the mood she was going for, I sort of describe it as Quentin Tarantino meets the Beatles. Meets <laughs> the Beatles. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that one was a lot less pressure, of course, than the first one. You know, she approached me uh, during the summer. Yeah, I had a few weeks a month. Uh, to write the music for that. It was uh, seven minutes of music, so it wasn't bad. I did a lot of electronic stuff with it. It did, uh, my score did did get nominated at the Idlewild Cinema Festival for, um, you know, best short score. So I'm like, yay. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> I didn't win, but I got nominated. So that, that works for me. <laughs> That's so amazing. Is there like any track from Tony Eclipse that you would like to share to the audience? I cannot decide between doing the title track, Tonal Eclipse, or Hope Unfolding. I don't know. Can you help me decide? Which would you pick? Mm, I go with the title track. Okay. Here is Tonal Eclipse of the Heart.
Yeah. So did you hear some of the Pierre Schaefer trade in there? Definitely. I, I wanted to like comment about that. I really like, <laughs> I do like that use because it's like, it has that like, it's definitely like industrial. Yeah. Stuff. And right? Yes. Yeah, so you have that like industrial intro and then you like get into that um, electronic beats, which is all like, ooh, kind of like, <laughs> kind of like you want to dance to as well. It's like, it's, it's like a fun production. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, this kind of reminds me of like an opening to like a television show. <laughs> I tend to get that a lot. People don't know why I'm not doing more TV and movies. And I'm like, well, I mean, the industry doesn't want me, so. <laughs> well, when they hear Sarah, then they'll rethink. They'll rethink. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but it was a lot of fun. Like I said, that's something I'd been wanting to play around with for years, ever since I first knew about the Schaefer piece. And I'm like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> yes, yes. You, yes. You, you guys should, like, listen to um, Tony Clips. It'll be, like, on our social media and that stuff. Uh, I was just wondering, um, what gave you the title of like for the the song in particular, Tony Clips? You also had um, Tony Clips of the Heart attached to it, like the Bonnie Tyler song. Uh, was it just like for funds? Funsies? I, or? Actually, yes. I mean, I am a I'm a major fan of like the the top tunes of the late 70s through early 90s. You know, Total Eclipse of the Heart is one of my favorites, and. Um, I mean, quite honestly, even before the song was created, when I was just having the idea, um, I was like, huh, that would be kind of funny, tonal eclipse, ha, huh? you know. Yes. Um, I mean, honestly, James helps me with these titles too. The The trio that I just finished is called Air, like, like the English Air, A-Y-R-E, Air of Grievances, you know, so. <laughs> mm. I don't know, there's just something funny about um, being, having snarky titles. <laughs> I love it. I happen, coincidentally, I happen to have the um, vinyl um, that it was in, Faster Than Speed of the Night. I believe Ooh. it's like the second track of the LP. Nice. So it gets all very dramatic with the mm -hmm. power ballad. It's the full version as well. Oh, nice. So it's just like, oh, oh. <laughs> yes, See, I love I the song. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's on... Um, Sarah's most recent work, Tonal Eclipse. I feel like COVID and technology are like always in my mind, music industry mm -hmm. and that stuff, musicians and like the audience, pretty much like everything's in a pause, pause, which sucks. Mm -hmm. And we're looking like into like different ways of how we're um dealing with that. I love live music. I love watching people perform rather than performing myself, um, <laughs> whether it's it's like a free show on the street, anyone busking, anyone's concert. I'm just like entertained by like what each performer has to offer, whether whatever they do is like intentional or not. Cause like, mm -hmm. you know, like everyone interprets things differently. Mm -hmm. so. It's true. Yeah. Well, I, I, on that topic, I find that actually teaching the class that I teach has really caused me to sort of reevaluate just or just take a deeper look at society and music in general and just looking at the history of our relationship with music I mean like I always I hammer this in in the class all the time but like before the 20th century the only way you could enjoy music was to either do it yourself 
or go listen to somebody doing it. That was the only way, right? Now, suddenly in the 20th century, you have radio and TV and, you know, YouTube and internet, you have the recording industry, right? In, yes. in just that 100 years, everything changed, right? And so that's what really fascinates me is how our relationship with our music has completely changed. And then now with COVID taking out the live part almost entirely, that, that adds another layer of change on there. And it's going to be interesting to see how we come out of this. You know, um, For example, there's all these uh, concerts being put on by these major classical organizations, you know, the LA Phil or the Met, right? Yeah. And they're all free right now, right? Uh, whereas you once had to pay and that already is gonna change the uh, dynamics of the way people interact with that music experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess uh, like with like a lot of live streams, like more musicians are like performing for free. Exactly, exactly. And yes. it, stinks because this is our livelihood we want to get paid for it at the same time i mean we've seen this with streaming i mean you, you remember my lectures about how streaming like you cannot make a living on streaming you just you can't it's just it's just one source of like one source yeah income so you know so you've got to be creative as far as the economics of the music making music goes so i don't know it just it's really interesting for me to view the evolution of of us and our musicing you know and and i think artists need to kind of keep that in the back of our minds as life moves forward and as society moves forward and just kind of be flexible and see see what evolves and how you can be a part of it yes a lot is changing a lot has changed and it's like currently changing mm -hmm. it's still crazy and like i wish that like we can like definitely get out of this like right now yeah yes yeah. Um, i i miss going to the mall i do the mall <laughs> i miss yeah. just walking around <laughs> yeah i just yeah. miss being like together around people yes yes there's only yeah. so many so many hours you can handle being on zoom <laughs> <laughs> has there been like a specific quarantine hobby that you've picked up um well when we first started quarantine we got animal crossing new horizons so i literally yes. spent hours on end <laughs> playing I've animal been, crossing yes i've been seeing it on your like your social media too yes <laughs> so i don't play it as much anymore because now we have our island built everything is set i just kind of maintain nice. it and change things here and there but um but there's that and then i got in on um story of seasons that that, that recently came out on switch so i've been playing that maintaining my farm you know i've always got a special place in my heart for mario kart 8 mario um, kart <laughs> I, lo I love playing online you know racing against people here's the funny thing is i could get down on myself for not doing other things that i would normally be doing but you know this is such a difficult time that it's better i think to just you know, chillax and be easy right. on our be easy on ourselves. Do think play games, like play video games, and don't be ashamed of it. You know, <laughs> self coping is like really important. That's why you mm -hmm. like start doing things that you don't usually do, but you actually do enjoy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I have a friend, one of my best friends, who's a phenomenal viola player, like solo level violist. Um, she's gotten into, she started her own uh, Etsy jewelry store mm. and she's been making clay earrings 
since the lockdowns and she's doing really well. I'm so proud of her. And it's just, you know, another artistic outlet for her. <laughs> nice. We love small businesses. Yeah. Small businesses absolutely. and local business. Support your local businesses. <laughs> Amen. Yep, yep, yep. Support your artists as well, mm-hmm. too. Artists exactly. as you know, local level, indie level, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What like influences you to like create your music or what even like made you start to like perform or like know that you want a career in music? Well, okay, so growing up and, and currently some of my favorite sounds, you know, again, were the top music from the 70s to 90s. Um, love that period of music. Uh, I love Ravel. Ravel's one of my favorite composers. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, his Symphony Number no. 2 is one of my favorite pieces and his Mass. Is, his Mass is a trip. If you haven't heard the Bernstein Mass, you should totally go hear it. Um, Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. I heard that on the radio one time when I was a kid and just fell in love with it. I was listening um, to Rachmaninoff on the radio the other oh, day. It's so beautiful, rich and beautiful. I love Queen. Uh, Queen. Yes, hello. Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I will drop everything and just start singing that guitar riff like all day. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. love that. I love Queen. But I also love Within Temptation. Um, I'm a big fan of electronic music, and I know there are so many subgenres now, but when I was growing up, it was only called electronica, and that was it. <laughs> electronica, yeah, yeah, that's like, electronica is the term to like, really describe like electronic music that doesn't really fit. Exactly. Like, Cause there's like EDM as well. And like, when you get asked if you like get, if you listen to electronic music, many people would be thinking like, oh, you listen to EDM, but like, there's also like other there's electronic so music too. many, oh my gosh. Growing up, I had this stint where I was in love with listening to Yanni and uh, Yanni. And yeah, and Yanni. Uh, I was like into ambient for a while. Uh, Amethystium was a really cool Swedish artist that was does ambient and electronic that I fell in love with. I loved Evanescence, Seven Lions, and Hybrid are some of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, anime music, like music from the Fate series. Oh, mm. gorgeous stuff. Um, the music from the movie Stargate is one of my favorite theme tracks, uh, soundtracks. Stargate. I love Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, so that's the kind of stuff I love. I love, I love stuff with a melody, but I love a lot of drama and a lot of texture. Um, there's a lot of these pieces that I have more fun playing than I have listening to. Like hmm. Mozart is a great example. Um, Mozart and Bach, I love playing them. Um, listening to them, not so much. <laughs> Maybe because I'm just overanalyzing it when I'm listening to it. Um, Maybe you are playing the music. Right, exactly. And figuring out like how to play stuff too. I don't know how else to describe it. I love a lot of different kinds of music, but I tend to have a, a definite flavor that I migrate to. <laughs> so I think, so going back to your other question about what got me started in this, a, a lot of little things. I mean, I remember from a very young age, just singing and making up melodies and singing in harmony to stuff I heard on the radio and my grandparents had a piano at their house every time we visited I would go just kind of noodle around and make up my own stuff on the piano and so just lots of little things like that and then I joined choir in elementary school and then a year later in elementary school, my dad made me pick an instrument because he wanted me to learn how to read music and not just sight sing mm-hmm. or uh, sing by ear. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll take violin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 30 years later, I'm still playing it, you know? <laughs> nice. um, so yeah, I just kind of, I liked 
fooling around with it. And then I really fell in love with, you know, soundtracks like Stargate and uh, Jerry Goldsmith stuff. And um, I don't know, I just, um, well, I'll tell you what got me started actually writing my first, my first real piece. <laughs> and you have to understand, you have to understand we were, we were poor, so we didn't have any computer for the longest time except a VIC-20 on which I played all the video games. Um, and then we had a PC for a while, but we didn't have any notation software for the longest mm. time, right? And uh, so I wrote everything by hand. I just got blank manuscript paper and just did it all by hand. We didn't even have a piano, so I did a lot of it by ear. Uh, mm. So my ear training got really good. Um, but so when I was 13, <laughs> um, there was this assignment in junior high, our choir teacher was like, hey, um, just, uh, I forget what the assignment was, but it was basically like, learn to write out your favorite melody or whatever. And of course me, like the nerd I am, I just went and wrote my own song. <laughs> and I wrote, I wrote it for two parts. So it was for junior high choir, two parts and a piano part with it. And I handed it in to my teacher and she just, she enrolled it in the Disneyland creativity challenge that year. And uh, everybody was all excited. And I actually won a finalist position for it. And I was like, dude. So that's what kind of got me going like, wow, I could, I could actually write stuff. Wow. <laughs> so I just went off from there, kept writing music and writing it by hand in secret. And then finally, I, I would do arrangements for like church groups and stuff. They knew I could do it. So they're like, hey, will you write an arrangement for our student group? And I'm like, all right, sure you know, just went on from there. <laughs> trial, by er trial and error. <laughs> That's great. I feel like the more you like, like you definitely do things and like you show up to people, the more like support that you'll get. If people mm -hmm. like see that now if you're good at it, I feel like if you're good at it, but if you also like to do it too. Exactly. If you like to do it and that like, if people have to see that you're good at it. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to be reliable and friendly and not a jerk. And <laughs> the, the, there's a couple of things I've learned, though, on that personality side, though, where first you have to learn to say no at some point. Uh, I would yes. overload myself with yes, 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 yes. And next thing you know is I'm not sleeping, you know. <laughs> so you, you have to learn to say no and know your own limits, you know. Um, but also, uh, also it's really funny. I've had a lot of people look at me and think, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. First of all, I've had people look at that, look at me that way because I'm a female. Mm. <laughs> oh, you're a woman you, and you're married. So you really don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but I'm like, mm, okay then. <laughs> yes. Music can be misogynistic sometimes. It, in some circles, it still is, unfortunately. Yeah, and or also because I look so young. So they think, you know, oh, she's just a kid. She doesn't have any experience, you know. And, you know, you just do do your thing. You do what you agreed to do. And, you know, and people like it or don't. And you just move on. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's like, yeah, that was like, all of that was like pretty great. Um, oh, good. I'm so glad. What like musicians or artists would you like to collaborate with? You know, I'll be quite honest. I am open to collaborating with everybody as long as they're good people. I mean, I've tried to do collaborations with people who are just full of themselves and, mm. you know, it's just, it's not fun. Uh, I don't care what opportunities they say they're gonna give you, but it's just not worth it if you're not having fun, you know, enjoying the process with them. Um, but I've had 
collaborators like T with her films that are just a joy, you know, and she'll kind of give me an idea of what she's looking for and I'll throw her back some, some ideas and she'll be like, oh my gosh, I love this. We're so excited. And um, so, I mean, no one really in particular comes to mind. Just um, I'm open and willing to work with people as long as they love working with me and, you know, love the process. And what the best thing about like collaborating is just the chemistry. Yes. Yeah. I'm not really into like the big business assembly line kind of media writing, but I'd rather be in the more independent side of things where you can just work with a smaller team and kind of share your, your own ideas. If you're like working with a smaller team, um, it could work. It could definitely work for some people, even mm -hmm. though like the resources and the accessibility can be smaller. That is the trade-off. That is the trade-off. You have less money to work with. <laughs> um, but for me, it's again, the personality and the experience that I care more about. Since like you are a, um, a professor for music technology, I was wondering what's like your favorite piece of music technology, like any music technology, does it have to be an instrument or something to create music with? Yeah. Something that can like help create music or, you know. I have two favorites that I can't decide between. Honestly, one of my absolute favorites is notation software. I think because I grew up doing it all by hand and I'm just, I love being able to just type the notes in, print it out, it's legible, <laughs> hear it play back so I know what I'm doing. Uh, copy and paste, oh my gosh, the whole cut and paste and copy and paste thing is amazing. <laughs> so I love notation software, but I also love microphones. Um, not that I'm an expert on it, but I have a couple of condenser mics and I have a direct mic and it's just been so amazing to have just even those three mics to, to work with. Cause then, yeah, I can do a lot of stuff in my computer and in my DAW, um, a lot of digital instruments and synthesizers. But then when I want to just pull out my violin and be like, you know, I just want to play this one lick, boom, there it is <laughs> on, on my computer, you know? So yeah, I think it's a toss up between notation software and microphones that plug into your laptop. <laughs> uh, for um, notation software, would you recommend to the listeners either MuseScore <laughs> or Sibelius? Uh, see, I wondered if you were gonna ask about Finale too. Finale, okay. so Ooh, I forgot about the, that. <laughs> the, the one that I have settled on so far is Notion. That's actually PreSonus's software. And it, I use PreSonus's DAW also. So the two talk to each other. So I can write something in Notion and then just move it over to the DAW or vice versa. I can put something in the DAW and move it over to the notation software. Um, but I actually stumbled on Notion because I was looking for something inexpensive, <laughs> but reliable. And the playback is sampled from the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road Studios. So, I mean, the playback is gorgeous. Um, and I really, really like it. I've used Sibelius in the past, uh, but before it switched over to whoever owns it now. I forget, Avid, does Avid own it now? Well, there was one point where somebody different owned it and that's when I was using Sibelius. And actually I liked Sibelius, I liked it a lot. Um, I used Finale for a bit also. Uh, someone gave me a pirated copy when I was a teenager. That was my first <laughs> notation software, <laughs> but I got the chance to use it. Um, 
And I liked it okay. I actually liked Sibelius better than Finale. But the thing that bugs me the most is just how doggone expensive these programs are. I'm like, mm. really? Come on, guys. Um, it's it's really ridiculous. <laughs> so for that, I, I like MuseScore. I had actually used MuseScore too. Uh, I liked to collect sound fonts. And like sometimes I could get some really cool sounding sound fonts and just upload it into my MuseScore program. Mm. Um, so MuseScore, I, I highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're on a budget. It's, it's free. It's free, yes. <laughs> the one thing I'm worried about Notion with is that I'm worried that the industry is so focused on DAWs now and samplers and digital mm. audio workstations, but not notation, right? Because less and less people are writing music who know how to read music. More people yeah. are writing music just by using samples and loops and stuff. And so therefore there's less money to go around to maintain your notation software, which is why I think they're so expensive. Um, so that's a little bit of a downside is that I rely on notation so much, but the industry isn't set up for that, right? <laughs> yeah, um, people, I'll call, I'll call them like desktop musicians. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. They'll just like to jump into like DAWs and create music, mm -hmm. but it just depends because like you know some people like really don't have like music theory knowledge but they do mm -hmm. they, they are like able to do things by ear i like using music notation software because i like writing like piano pieces as well so yeah it helps and that helps like when you're like transferring midi to oh DAW yes. software as well oh yeah so that's fine i love it and this kind of goes to my discussion about how you look at notes and music and how it affects how you work with the music. Like I love using notation when I'm analyzing the structure of what I'm doing, you know? So especially if it's a chamber work or an orchestral work, I wanna see where all the scaffolding is, you know? I wanna know what's, what's going on uh, under the hood. And that's why notation is really good for that because you, you can visually see what's going on. Um, but I also like just writing straight into the DAW when I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. So you'll probably notice that the pieces, some of my pieces are more complex than others. And the usually more fun, less complex ones are ones I just do straight into the DAW. <laughs> I have one last question since our podcast is coming closer to the close. I know we're like in COVID where we're all isolated and stuff, but like, yeah, what's next? Well, um, I've, I've got a, a, still got a couple of chamber pieces on the back burner that I've got to finish for a couple of friends. Uh, so that's something I've got to do. But uh, most immediately for me, um, this, this, I kind of call it my on again, off again label, Parma. Um, they're the professional label that I have been able to release several of my pieces under. Um, I have one full album that I did with them in like 2014. 15, something like that. And then I have several that have been released and are being going to be released this year on compilation albums. And I usually throw pieces at them that I know I couldn't do myself, you know, like one of my big orchestra pieces. I'm like, yeah, you guys, you guys do this one. <laughs> but I really look forward to working more with them. Um, they constantly have these cool opportunities, like they'll have violinists who are looking for new music. So they'll say, hey, do you have any other violin solos you want to throw our way? And maybe have somebody perform it, you know? And um, so basically, like I said, we we have sort of a long-term plan for the next year or so of a couple more pieces I want to have 
them record with professional musicians. And then I have enough singles that we've done on compilation albums that we want to put those together into one solo album. So it'll be my second Mm. solo album with them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, So, so it's really fun to work with them. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen like several artists that like do make music for like compilation releases. They're like, Mm -hmm. whether it's like genre or scene specific and that stuff. And they would like sometimes like end up like releasing their like own album containing all those like um, songs from compilations, which is like kind of a smart move. It's a very like, smart move. you want to like add something to your album discography. Because mm-hmm. honestly, okay, talk about economics. Um, it does take money to do this, right? What, what we have decided in my case is that we'll have them do the singles, you know, for every few months at a time. And then, like I said, when we have enough, then we'll release it all in one album. So we're, we're taking sort of the slow approach, yeah. um, which, which really works for us, so. <laughs> With Parma, do you happen, do you have been to like own these tracks or is it like a shared? Uh, this is what I love about them. So the, the way they work their agreement is that not only do I own, still own the piece, usually it's, you know, you don't own the recording, but at least you own the composition. Uh, I've worked with some recording engineers like that, but with Parma, I own also the masters. So if at any point, I think it's like they get prime use of it for five years, but anytime after five years, I can ask in writing to have the masters and have them stop distributing it. So I could do that at any time, but honestly, they've been so amazing with distribution and promotion. I'm like, no, you guys just, (laughs) you keep doing it. You keep doing it. (laughs) So, I mean, they've got connections all over the, they they do like classical recordings and they also do jazz um, and all these other different uh styles and genres so they've got a lot of connections with um all these different publications and blogs and uh, musicians etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah it's, it's a good deal yeah it's great that you can like work with a um record label that that like does help you and allows you to like make like some arrangements as well yes yeah that's the one thing i would highly recommend is don't have a good go relationship in, with your have a good relationship with your label make sure you read the fine print of your contract don't yes. give up any rights i mean that are unreasonable <laughs> make sure you maintain rights to your own piece you know <laughs> well, all of this is like great to like talk about and listen to you oh, good it was fun <laughs> and now we have reached to the end of our podcast to um, say goodbye to our listeners. Do you have any um, any last words, any word of advice? Honestly, be true to yourself. That's the best thing I could say. I have had so many people throughout my life tell me how I should be or what I should be doing, what I should be creating or, you know, but get to know yourself better and life will be a lot more pleasant. <laughs> be true to yourself is like such a simple message, but yet it's like, it's so hard, it's to, hard do. to take in <laughs> and this is a good time to like really learn about yourself because you have Absolutely. like so many things taken away mm-hmm. be creative be courageous enough to do what you know you need to do so yeah we have reached to the end of the, our podcast right now cpp music um couches it has been very fun to talk with you sarah uh, i want to thank you my pleasure thanks yes for being here and i also <laughs> want to thank Teresa Kelly, the one who proposed of this like podcast idea for the music department. Before we leave, would you like to like tell the audience um, where can we find your music? Yeah, definitely. Media, all that stuff. Yeah, 
Um, so basically you can start with sarahwallenhuff.com and you'll be able to find everything, my blog, my uh, sheet music list. You can, you can buy some sheet music for me if you like. Um, so if you're into sheet music and looking at what I've written, uh, you can see my catalog there. Uh, but if you're interested in my discography, so my recordings that are available, whether they're self-produced or under Parma, um, you can go to sound-deliverance, so sounddeliverance.blog. Uh, it's also, there should be a link to that on my website, sarahwallenhuff.com. And that, that's my exclusively all my discography. You can search by release, you can search by platform, you can see everything I've done. <laughs> Would you like to present one of your songs as the closing theme for our podcast today? Sure, I'd be honored to. Um, maybe it could be something from the foodie. Oh, the Ice by a Foodie, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we could do the, the very ending bit. That's my favorite bit, the conclusion to it. The very called- ending. The, the track is Kitchen Betrayal. Kitchen Betrayal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I want to thank the audience. We have learned a lot about Sarah Wallen Huff, an amazing professor, composer. Thank you everyone for listening, and I hope all you guys have a nice day. Bye.